Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Mazuz. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Ian Blair, who is the founder and MD of Bristol-based Revoco. Ian has worked in the industry since 1995. And what we really discussed in this episode is whether you should scale or not scale. And what you need to think about, understand, if you are scaling and what you need to think about, understand if you're not scaling, if you want to grow a small profitable recruitment business, Ian has experienced both. He's perfectly positioned to talk about the things that come with successfully scaling a recruitment business as he was one of the four founders of the rethink group, which scaled to over hundred people, different brands, different businesses. And then over the last five years, he's been really committed to building a recruitment business that gets no larger than 30, that doesn't lose its culture, that he can really pay close attention to profitability per head and just really own that small recruitment business and uh, enjoy the journey. So we're going to unpack, do you scale and what you need to think about and do you not scale? Enjoy the episode. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to this one. I think obviously when we were preparing for this and thinking about what we wanted to go through today, I think you've been on a really interesting journey that a lot of people uh, could probably learn a lot from and also be really interested to hear. So I think the way that we're framing this up, aren't we, is like scale or not to scale because you've been on a journey in the last five and a bit years of quote unquote not scaling, deciding that you want to build a really nice profitable business, potentially smaller and and not the, the scalability of the previous decade or the, the amount of years that you worked with Rethink Group where it was an entirely different journey of scaling it to 100 plus people, different locations and all those types of things. Yeah. But I guess where I always like to start is the million pound question and probably something that might have changed in your time uh, in the recruitment industry, but also probably something you've really thought a lot about. So I, I would love to hear your take on the characteristics and traits that you typically look for or find in in top performers in in modern day uh, successful recruiters? Okay, I think for me, the key of that question is the modern day bit. And I do think it has changed. What underpins the characteristics that I look for haven't changed. So your kind of resilience, Mm. competitive nature, that get up and go that you want from your recruiters, that's never changed. But I think in today's world, what I really look for are things like authenticity. Mm. So being just being yourself and being true, because I think people see through that if you're not. Don't really believe in people putting on that kind of work mask when they mm. come to work. You're just not sincere enough, not authentic enough. So I look for sort of authenticity over and above all the other traits I've said. The other thing I kind of really look for is, I sort of talked about resilience a bit, but it's more about the emotional intelligence, okay, which again, I guess is linked with 
authenticity. It's being able to read people and being able to kind of mirror and match mm. rather than just be kind of one one size fits all, if that makes sense. So that's those are the traits that I think are really important today mm. more, more than anything else. And curious, like, how do you look for those in an interview environment? Because I feel like they're quite... Yeah. non-tangible it's tough maybe. yeah it is, it is actually really tough i think the authenticity thing often you can start an interview and you end up having to say to the person can you stop really with this with the interview charade you I, can I, be yourself yeah i want relax. you to be yourself I, wa I want you to stop giving me interview answers i want to hear what you really think and what you really want to know so sometimes just breaking down that barrier like that. helps you can also clearly do a bit of research on them before you meet them so you know what what they're interested in what they like to do and then when you're asking them about that, if they don't tell you about some of those interests, they're not being authentic. Sure. So you can kind of probe a little bit around that. We do tend to do a bit of an assessment exercise when we go through an interview process, and that helps as well. You can really start seeing the, the personality coming through when we do some of those kind of. They're not like group exercises, but so yeah, that's. But it is it is a tricky it is a tricky yeah, thing to try and get. Which is what I wanted to ask, and then I guess before we go into this, just because I think it'll be useful for people just to get your perspective, why is it that those two things you really now look for or like wh why do you think they're the things that you spoke about that are maybe in line with things have changed now or things like out of interest? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think I think it's because the world of recruitment is so saturated now. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I started a long time ago mm. and I worked for one of the, the big players out there and our USP was the size of our database and we were like the only players in town really. And I mean, I'm going back a long way. <laughs> if, if you think now how many different recruitment companies there are that all claim to be different and mm. all claim to have this, that and the other, I just, it comes back to basic sales to me. And, and you know, what do you like? Who do you like buying from? I, mm. I like buying from people. I like, you know, I get put off by a product if I don't like the salesperson. So that's where that kind of authenticity comes in and just being yourself and being convincing about what you're selling and what you're talking about and what service you're offering rather than putting this recruitment mask on, which isn't often a pretty mask, if yeah, that makes sense. Sure. That's interesting. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, I think no, it's just because it's so saturated and to be, yeah. to stand out, to stand you out, actually you have to be You truly have to own yourself and yeah, know yeah. what you are. No, it's really interesting. The chap that we had sitting before you, Anthony, he actually sort of shared when, so he's, he started his career at S3, and the three years he was there, it was up and the moment that he actually brung his full self to work, and he was authentic and he brought that person to work rather than like the professional Anthony yeah. was the moment that it all really kicked on yeah. for him. So it's just interesting you say that, it's completely right. So it's, it, I understand what you mean. Let's start with then, we're gonna get straight into it for people because as we said, there's so much that we could talk about with your journey, but I, I wanna sort of dive straight into it. So I guess feel free to help me out here, but I wanted yeah. to frame it up for people, for people listening. We're gonna talk a bit about the learnings, challenges, principles to scaling and, and, and with hindsight, what you've learned and those things. Yeah. So I guess just to frame up, you were obviously one of the, the four founders of Rethink Group. Yeah. And obviously you, uh, over sort of eight years, you scaled that from scratch to around 150 plus people. And you had made a couple of uh, key acquisitions along the way. Digital Gurus, you had Farouk on here before, yeah. was one of them. Then had uh, RTM Recruitment as well. And then I don't know if there's any other but key sort of brands in there. Yeah. Well, I think the, the two acquisitions that we made towards the end of my journey were Digital Gurus and a RPO business called Consort, which oh, Consort, then became okay. RTM. So yeah, but that's okay. Me. And then obviously, yeah, and then you you actually uh, floated that business on the this I learned this through obviously AIM the stock market, exchange yeah. at the A market, 
And then, yeah, that's then when obviously VCs involved, you obviously didn't have as much control as you did before. Yeah. And then uh, I don't know the exact time period, but then after that, after a period of time, you then left. And then for the last five and a bit years, you've been on a different business journey. Yeah. Right. So when it comes to rethink, okay. You've just summed up about <laughs> 20, I know, it's so 20 unfair. years of my that's life. That's so unfair. <laughs> yeah, no, but I guess it's, it's just, it's, you know, with these things, it's the context, isn't it, that, yeah. that's useful. So I guess, like, let's just start then. Like a lot of people, because I'm sure you've met them, a lot of people say that they want to scale a recruitment business, but may not necessarily actually achieve that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you're aware, like if you were to look at the, the UK recruitment market specifically, a lot of the data suggests that most of the industry is made up of small micro businesses that are under X turnover and X amount of people. So like, I guess let's just start with like from your perspective and the journey that you've been on, why do you think a lot of people maybe struggle to scale their recruitment business if that's what they set out to do at the beginning? It's a really good question. And I think we were very successful at scaling Rethink, partly because there was four of us doing it, of course. Mm. So I was able to get the Bristol operation to sort of 30 staff and my co-founders, one in London and one in Manchester, did the same. So mm. very quickly we were at like 80 Had a good critical staff. mass. Yeah. Yeah. I did 30, they did, th- you know. Yeah. So there was a bit of a safety in numbers there, which really helped. And having the, the geographic presence from day one as mm. well and the three offices, you'll see a lot of recruitment businesses now start in one office and then when they when they got that scale, then they yeah. open another one. We did kind of big bang approach. So we made a lot of noise, I think, personal brand is really important and I mean sort of your own brand so the founder's brand Mm. what are they known for what have they done in the past how successful have they been their own reputation in the market will obviously help attract people in but it's also about knowing exactly what you're trying to build what you're trying to create I know that sounds obvious but I think some people try and scale up but without a plan without Mm. necessarily a vision without necessarily a real purpose of what they're trying to do they're you know, they'll talk to people that they want to scale up because they want 50 staff. Well, that means nothing to the recruiter. Mm. He doesn't care whether you're 30, 40 or 50. They want to know what's in it for them, right? So I think that's where maybe some of the, the businesses struggle. They haven't really got a clear purpose. They haven't really got a, I'm sure you've talked so mm. much about a clear USP, a clear differentiator. Sure. I hear people all the time saying it's our people. What does that actually mean, right? Mm. Why, the why tangibles, are you different? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think having a really clear purpose, a really clear direct, and a plan, a, bud- a budget, a clear focus on how many heads do we need to get to by what date and what are we expecting those heads to deliver. We were religious about setting budgets in the mm. early days of Rethink, L- really religious, that you wouldn't change. You would stick, live or die by them, basically. I think it's, it's interesting, and I think we're going to get on to the then approach mm. on later on, but I think it's what I picked up on then. When I speak to, because I speak to a lot of recruitment entrepreneurs, I do feel like people can fall into the habit of, oh, we're only 10 today, I know we want to get to 50, I worry about budgeting and doing those things when I'm here. Whereas what, what I took from that is you sort of treated and, and sort of approached your business like it was 90 people before you yeah. got to the way before you got to that point and i still do now so yeah. i still still write budgets today for revoco i still have a, a, a monthly board meeting that i still religious, religiously put a board pack together for even mm. though it's me and my my co-founder and my non-execs three of us so but i still treat it like like that so i think yeah you need a plan and, and also how do you measure you know how do you measure the success of your growth and your scaling if you haven't even got 
a plan written down on, yeah. on, on paper. So, so if I'm, what, what I'd be interested to get your thoughts on then. So if I'm listening right now and I am, I, I do, I do want to scale my recruitment business. I might be listening to this go. You know what? I, I, I don't have a plan. I just know that we want to, we have, we want to have another really good quarter. And I am committed to this. Like, but I, I don't really know where to start. So I'm not going to ask you for the, 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 the what I need to do tomorrow and the things that I need to start. But what I'd love to hear your thoughts on is what what good quality questions can I ask myself to understand what my purpose is or how can I uncover what like the future looks like? What are some good questions that people can ask themselves to then unpack this? Because I think if yeah. you do that work, then you can reverse engineer stuff, can't you? And then you can really think and understand what what is it that we're trying to achieve here? I think that's where it can all start. What what good questions can people ask themselves? What typical questions do you like to ask yourself to really under, uncover that? Well, it's a really it's a really good question, and it's uh, you know it's around it's also around what why have the plan? What for? What, yeah, are, you, what exactly. are you actually trying to achieve from here? Because yeah. I think a lot of people fall into the scaling scaling up route because mm. that's what I think they seem around them and that's the right thing to do right mm. but only if that's what you want to get if you want to get out of it so i guess it's a little bit of a debate around is it a lifestyle business is, is it a value play mm. or is it a bit of both mm. and um the, the the sort of lifestyle play is a bit obvious you can keep it small you can keep it profitable you can you can enjoy a good living out of it whereas the value the the measures are often very different headcount will be a big one revenue will be a big one you kind of not not really need to worry about profitability whilst you're scaling it's kind of the least thing you need to worry about it's all top line growth but what's the plan you know what why do you want to scale yeah what what are you trying to achieve do you have an exit strategy is it a really clear exit strategy and by the way that can be a bad thing too because <laughs> I, I can honestly admit at Rethink, we had a very clear exit strategy from day one, which we never achieved after five years because the whole economy swung. Mm. You'll remember the 08, 09, well, yeah. you might not, but it was a horrendous time. And, you know, that was the point we were sort of due to start to exit, which of course never happened. So yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say you need a really clear end goal yeah. and what, you know, really challenge yourself, ask deep questions. Why do you want to do that? Why yeah. do you, do you want to exit? Why do you want to exit? What are you going to do after you exit? You're going to do it all over again, or you know, buy a big yacht, or I don't know. Um, so yeah, have a plan, have an end goal, and then have a plan to get to that goal, and then appreciate that it won't be a smooth, mm. a smooth road. A couple of final things on this. So talking of exits, yeah, I'd love to hear your take. I remember asking Farouk this, but I'd love to hear your take on like obviously some the way some people listen to this can achieve that exit if they are scaling is through M and A, is through being uh, acquired. So, like, what are some of the, the the key metrics that or key things that you really looked at for you to get excited about a potential recruitment business acquisition or opportunity, and, and some of the things that maybe you saw in the likes of digital gurus that got you mm -hmm. excited? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. Now, I think it's safe to say that right now the market is crazy. Continue to hear people saying never seen the market like it, and I continue to speak to recruiters who are inundated with jobs, which is why I'm not surprised that the number one word that I'm always hearing at the moment is automation. And if you're looking at how you can enable your teams to spend more time on what they're brilliant at, building relationships, speaking to people, then you need to look at Sourcebreaker. It's helped countless recruitment companies scale more quickly, enable their younger recruits and their rookies to get better more quickly 
and automate a whole lot of the the work that a lot of recruiters are probably not so good at and the work that that maybe they don't enjoy as much. Because you listen to this podcast, you're going to be able to get an exclusive discount on the Sourcebreaker product. So if you have not already, get a demo booked in with Sourcebreaker. Use the link in the show notes. You will not regret it. If you're thinking about that word automation in 2022, you need to consider Sourcebreaker. From my own personal experience, what we looked for and what, what we got excited about, businesses like Digital Gurus, they were a rapidly expanding, growing business in a market that complemented Rethink's market really well. So Rethink was traditionally IT. Digital gurus were obviously a lot more digital. I know it sounds a bit obvious. (laughs) Now, obviously, the world's sort of merged a little bit since then. But at the time, they they were doing fulfillment in areas that we weren't. So that is a very nice strategic acquisition. And it was a really successful one for, for both parties. The other acquisition that we made was to to plug a gap in our RPO offering. So Rethink was very strong selling managed service programs, big contract, you know, RPOs, if you like, or MSPs. But we didn't have many permanent RPOs and we acquired Consort because it immediately gave us three or four really strong case studies, some revenue coming through in that world. And anyone that tries to get into this world will know that that first case study is mm-hmm. kind of the the really important one to get. So this is the first thing then was these these brands added to or plug the gaps maybe. That, the absolutely. F- yeah. Think of it like a jigsaw. I know it's a bit cheesy, but they were like the missing pieces of the jigsaw. Immediately added value, but it fitted really nicely. Mm. But the non-negotiables of what you're looking for within those a- yeah. acquisitions isn't always just growth or profitability or whatever. NFI. NFI, et cetera. It's culture as well. I mean, I've also experienced acquisitions where the culture was wrong. Mm. So you literally... You might as well just smash two businesses together yeah. and it ends in tears really, really quickly. So, yeah, making sure there's a cultural match is really important. Anything else? Leadership team? Yeah, like- but obviously sometimes you've got to factor in that the leadership team may go on an acquisition, but the, the culture comes from the top anyway, doesn't it? So I think if you get the cultural bit right, you've probably got the right sort of leadership mm. Uh, in there and you know areas of the market that you as I said that you might be short in that are also highly valuable so if if you're looking to exit yourself uh, let's say for example with Rethink we wanted more this RPO revenue because Mm. it attracts a higher multiple on exit then why not buy a business in that's already got that which can then springboard you into that world. And then curious may, may or may not know this but if I'm listening to this right now and I know my exit strategy is to maybe get acquired by something like the Rethink Group or a similar entity. How can I get on their radar? How can I make people like you or businesses like that aware that, look, I think I might have a business here that could actually add value to what, what you're building? Like, is it, I don't know, yeah. how did you come across these opportunities? Oh, well, did you go to market? <laughs> it's such, again, it's such a great, a great question because there's also a, an argument if you go out to market knocking on people's doors saying that you're thinking you might sell mm. you're not very attractive you really? need people coming to you going we'd like to buy you please not the other way around mm. so obviously good old fashioned networking this is where a you know a really strong non-exec might come in or a non-exec chairman who is well networked got that network yeah so actually the digital gurus introduction came through our chairman at the time who was also a non-exec at digital guru so knew that both businesses would work well together so I think, you know, that's that's a big part of, of a non-exec's role. But yeah, networking and just, but concentrating, if you want to be bought, just concentrate on building a brilliant company. Mm. You can't really tout yourself out there for sale. 
when it gets to it, of course, there's brokers you can yeah, then talk to yeah. and, and mid, middlemen. Uh, of course you can. You get approached. Mm. You know, there'll be lots of recruitment owners watching this. But you're going to have a lot more leverage if people are coming to you, is, is what you're saying. You don't want to be for on. sale. Yeah, okay, got that. So there's a couple of final things and we're going to the next part of your, your sort of professional journey. So the first one, I really wanted to get hear your thoughts on this because I think it's really interesting for people. And I know we spoke a bit about this, but I hope you don't mind me sharing. You can let me know if it's okay mm. to say this, but obviously you shared with me in preparation for this that when the four of you voted for being acquired, you, you actually voted against that in terms of how you saw the future of the company. Yeah, or it was not not being acquired. It was it was it was floating. Oh, floating. Yeah, sorry, floating. floating you oh, said so. Yeah, I mean, t- the backstory of, of the flotation was Rethink was only three and a half years old when yeah. we floated, which is like the minimum amount of trading you even need to do to to become listed. Yeah. Um, so it was really early on in our journey, and one would argue too quick. The reason I actually didn't want to float was because I could see the world was changing rapidly. It was 08, 09 yeah. when we hit our first big recession. And I felt it was just the wrong time to do it. The challenge you have, if anyone's watching this that's been through it, will know how expensive it is to list yeah. with nomad fees and broker fees. And it's extortionately expensive. Hmm. So once you've invested all that money to then pull out, you've literally wasted all that money. Sure. So it was a little bit of a case of let we do we, don't we? And the majority of the board decided we should do it. But yeah, so I, it's hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> And then I guess, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but what, did you exit, like, as in, did you achieve an exit or a, a milestone, like a, a business? Me personally? Yeah. Just, so, um, or obviously, the business as a whole? Yeah, no, so, well, <laughs> it's very topical. Rethink are in the process of exiting at right. the moment through a, a management buyout. But no, me, me personally, what, what, what happened towards the end is I spent four years building our RPO and talent management division, which yeah. is called RTM, uh, which I really enjoyed. But we then brought in a venture capitalist who uh, injected lots of money that yeah. enabled us to do the acquisitions that we spoke about earlier and also delist because it, it, right, it, reached, it reached a point where there was no point being on the A market. Yeah. That's a whole nother topic. So we ended up floating and then delisting four or five years later. But the inevitable happened for me personally. I felt that with the VCs coming in, they put their chairman in charge, which they had a right to do. Yeah. Uh, they changed the board structure. They changed the strategy. I'd lost control pretty mm. much in my own company and didn't necessarily share the future direction. I didn't yeah. t- didn't sit that well with me. So I ended up having to negotiate my own exit out of Rethink. And that was in 2016 when uh, I then obviously yeah. s- sat down and worked out. Yeah, because I was just, I was, what I was trying to tee up there was that I was going to ask you, but I may have got it wrong. I was going to ask you, like, you get to a point where you want to exit or yeah. get sort of VCs in, you're excited, you're putting the deck together, the money hits the account, you have these people involved. I wanted to sort of hear your take on how you felt after. Do, do you get what I mean? So I think that that's why I was just trying yeah, to sort I'd... of get that because I think a lot of people talk about getting to that moment and then they and then when they get there and they experience it, like, fuck, this maybe yeah. isn't what I expected or it's a lot more challenging than I expected. But I think you just shared some uh, of it there. Yeah, I think I think just be absolutely aware of what you're getting into bed with yeah. because you know we joined with a, a business that was quite a benign vc i.e not a very aggressive one right. they weren't going to expect a return in three years they were in it for the long journey so it's as safe as a vc is going to be but even then they you know they did as soon as they put their chairman in charge things changed yeah. and um everything changed ultimately so just yeah i guess be careful what you wish for but that's not to say that clearly getting 
VC backing is is wrong because I'm not I'm not saying that. No, yeah, no, you're not. not. I was just curious to find that your your experience. But so I wasn't quite as buzzing as you. <laughs> As perhaps I, I wish <laughs> yeah. I had. It was it was a it, it was quite a strange time, really. So the so final question then uh, on the scaling part is it's an interesting one. So I want to hear your take on this. So basically, the question is, if you started the, a recruitment business at the same time as another person, and you both had the exact same aspirations, you wanted to scale, but where they are now, they're at thirty people and they've sort of been stagnant, and and that's where they sort of ended up staying. But you've grew to. 100 plus, 150, you fulfilled your aspirations and exited that company. What did you do differently? What would I do differently? What did you do differently? So obviously, uh, comparison, what did I if do you start at the same the time. 150? Yeah, okay. so if you, if you start at the same time as someone that didn't fulfill the aspirations of scaling and exiting, people want to know what, what is it that Ian did differently to that person that had the same aspirations? It's, oh gosh, what a question. I think, <laughs> um, I mean, we had a plan to scale. So our whole strategy was scale get okay. get to scale so first. you had a plan and strategy that's what you did that, that, to this person well possibly but possibly especially if they only get to th- if the person who's at 30 wants to be 150 yeah yeah they're not fulfilling their strategy are they they're not no. they're not delivering on their own promise yeah but again it will probably come back to lots of things i've said already i mean there are loads of recruitment businesses you know who've got like 10 11 people and they seem to just always be at 10 or 11 people there, yeah. that's fine if that's what their aspirations are but yeah, we're on a slightly different path again. Okay, so, let, so let's go into the, the not scaling. Would you call your recruitment business now a lifestyle business? No. Yeah, that's what, yeah, because yeah, I don't no. think that's fair. No. Well, no, I don't call it a lifestyle business because I don't run it like a lifestyle business. And that's the whole lifestyle versus value yeah. play, right? So Revoco was born, you know, not that long after I left, I left Rethink. Part of my negotiations leaving Rethink was that I had no post-trade constrictions so I could set up which was a bonus because I would have gone off my head if I'd sat in the garden (laughs) for 12 months but no this time round Revoco's basically I'm building I'm building almost what I built in Bristol for Rethink which is a team of sort of circa 30 odd people and the reason I'm doing that is because we had the most amazing time at Rethink Bristol it was an incredibly high performing office Uh, everyone generally looked out for each other the culture was absolutely fantastic Mm. but we were part of a bigger group and it often, dare I say it, it was the bigger group that actually dragged us down a little bit from sure. group central overheads and all that kind of stuff. So this time round, the journey is very clear to me. I'm not, if I was running a lifestyle business, I wouldn't be trying to scale it to, to 30 odd heads. Sure. I'd be probably happy where I am right now. But I, I believe that that is the optimum amount of people to create a business that is both still enjoyable to hopefully to work in the culture and values are all absolutely still knitted in they start to perhaps creak a little bit as you they don't disappear altogether don't get me wrong because there are some businesses who do it really successfully uh, but it gets more and more challenging but personally i'm on a different journey now i've 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 done the big scale i've done the multiple offices Mm. i've done the being away from home three days a week Mm. I didn't want to do that again. So obviously things have changed since the, the, the yeah. dreaded pandemic. We shouldn't talk about that. But yeah, it's it's just on a, we're just on a different path. So no, I don't think you can call it a lifestyle business. Yeah. So again, help me out here for any other further context with people listening. But just to frame this up and then we'll go into how you've approached building that and growing the company in the last sort of five years. So obviously, yeah, started it on your own initially, but then obviously had a, a co-founder join a bit later. So there's been two of you. You had a couple of consultants from day one, sort of yeah. early on, on the journey. You obviously approached it in the sense of like you had the lean back office outsource from like the, the start sort of thing. Yeah. 
And then in terms of how you've been on the journey and certain milestones, what, what I've got down here is I think around about now you've got 16, 17 people as, yeah. a, as a business. Pre-COVID revenue was around 8.6 million, as, yeah. as you said. And there's some of the, the sort of key milestones. So I guess let's unpack this a bit then. So what was the first 90-day strategy? How was you going to think about how can we be different? We're in a saturated market. What was going to be our USP? Talk to us a bit about how you thought about that first year that you think has enabled you, yeah, the, okay. that gave you the good foundations to, to build on. Okay, we touched on it earlier, didn't we, this sort of USP and how and I personally believe that we had to have something tangible that mm. was that was that generally was different, different yeah. rather than saying it's our people or whatever. So I did a lot of planning and we created a number of tools that really differentiate ourselves in the market and they still do today. So we were doing video interviewing way before mm. the likes of some of the big tools in the market. I built my own video interviewing platform, which we used extensively, which added loads of value. Uh, we built a tool that tracks the sort of insight that candidates share with the clients that they're interviewing at. So you're my client. Um, I'm getting insight back from the candidates about your brand, your journey. Interesting. And I'm then feeding that back to, to the candidates, uh, sorry, to the clients. Clients. Because back then and still today, it was fiercely competitive and we believed to be successful in tech, you know, in tech recruitment, you have to do all of the things right all of the time. Mm. So we built tools that enabled our clients to be better and get better yeah, that's at interesting. that. So we could literally, when someone said, well, why are you different? We say, well, look, does anyone else do this? Mm. Another example is I introduced our triple B, our being brilliant bonus, which the, the candidates rate my consultants and my staff. Um, well, like MPS score. Sort of exactly thing. like that. And basically their commission, they get an extra amount if they're scoring in the upper quartile scores. Wow. So it was about driving good behavior from the top, from the beginning. You know, so rather than perhaps in some, some other recruitment companies that drive kind of KPIs, all for the right reasons, but that can drive some of the wrong behaviors, I wanted to turn it on its head. So... I hope that answers your question. No, it does, yeah. It, yeah, it was like, how can we physically be different? What can we show people to make us different? So, yeah, exactly. So I know one of the sort of key things was, like, I think I wrote down here, yeah, you got your first big RPO client nine months in, which is yeah. a huge win. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure you've picked up on this, but I guess it'd just be good to hear your thoughts on a lot of people, I feel like the recruitment entrepreneurs that I've been sitting down with are going on this journey of productization, whereas maybe... I don't know, like two, three, five years ago, I would speak to you as my potential customer and I'd say, this is how we work together. You sign terms, when we make a placement, you pay sort yeah. of thing. But I feel like, I, I do feel like the industry is really evolving where it's like, look, these are the different ways that we can work together and these are the, the problems that we can help solve. Yeah. So did from day one, I know clearly you had all that background with the RPO piece. Yeah. From day one, did you think, right, we need to have products yeah. that we take to market? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincere. Now, you should know by now that they are on the quest and their vision and mission is to be and become the operating system for growing recruitment companies. Well, you may or may not have seen, but I'm here to tell you that they've recently added another fantastic piece of kit to their overall amazing system. It's called Vineo. You can probably guess what it is. A lot of you, and for the last two or so years, have probably accelerated your use of video. So having a tool which is seamlessly in your uh, CRM, what you use every day to prospect candidates, prospect clients, 
to use video in, in your interview process, it's just going to make your life a whole lot easier. So just another amazing reason why you need to check out Vincere if you're looking for an all-in-one platform, the operating system that you need as you scale your recruitment business, then you have to consider Vincere. Use the link in the show notes. Because you're a recruitment mentors listener, you will get an exclusive discount and price. So use that link and you will not regret it. Do you know what? You've articulated it really well. The, the world in recruitment was slow to mm. catch on, but it's definitely really, really sped up in terms of the different routes to market and the different kind of uh, products that we offer to our customers. My three or four years of my time at the end of Rethink enabled me to really understand that world of yeah. large-scale RPOs or, or MSPs. So from day one, Revoco offered those services. Winning them is another <laughs> another. another battle, right? Because without the case studies, without the size and the growth and everything else, it is a, tri- a tricky one. But no, we we absolutely always had that as a route to market. The client that you, you mentioned there, we were fortunate enough to be able to hit it at exactly the right time where their internal team was struggling. They weren't meeting demand. The senior leadership team within IT were like pulling their hair out because they weren't being able to deliver the programs. And I quite you know aggressively went in and said, this because no one's ever heard of you and you're doing yeah, some great offering stuff. Offering that industry yeah, insight. Exactly. So so before I know it, they're like, well, fix it then. So I was building career microsites and doing wow. social media strategies for them and content plans, driving everyone to the newly built website. And it was a huge success. And off the back of that, we, I started lifting the bonnet in their contract resource and realized that they had 50-odd suppliers. Mm. Um, so I rationalised that down to one, us, and save them, <laughs> save them a fortune you know, along the way. So, so we've always had it. The only thing that's evolved over time is, and it was during the pandemic, I actually launched our recruitment as a service offering, which is this subscription model that you mm. hear about or embedded yeah. services, et cetera. And that's an interesting world, which you could do an entirely, entirely new yeah. session on. So ju- just, just on that really quickly, mm. so is it... Like, obviously, you had that previous experience, but when you won that, or like the way that you communicated it, you said you didn't have like the, the testimonials and the case studies which a lot of people need. Is like the key to start getting those, like being really upfront and honest and saying, like, we, we will deliver this and I will do everything I can to make this work, but then learning as you do it. I, I don't know, I just feel like not like fake it till you make it sort of thing, but. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I feel like, can people truly, is it as honest as like, look Ian, this is, this, this is what we can do for you. You will be one of the first clients that we've done. I don't know. Is it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a really, I, I think, I think I understand what you're asking, but remember it wasn't my first time I'd, first time, I'd done yeah. it. So, so I'd done it trade off that. numerous times previously. So I knew what I was doing. Yeah. It was the first time Revoco had done it yeah. and the client in question backed me and knew that, knew we would deliver on it. Sure. So your question's slightly different. If you've never done that before, if you are a bums on seats, on demand contingency recruiter, yeah. and you go and try and pitch an RPO or an MSP, it's it's not, <laughs> it's not quite as straightforward. It's not impossible, yeah. but it's not quite as straightforward. Okay. So I know something when we spoke about this, like I, I guess what would be good to understand from your perspective is as you've grown this small profitable business and that's been your intention, what are maybe the, the sort of different metrics that you've paid a real close attention to that you think has enabled you to make more consistently good decisions about maybe when to hire and like what what are some of the hiring triggers and and some of those metrics that are really important from your point of view and growing this company so i mean you've just touched on a really important part then which is what are the hiring triggers so this time around i've made sure that we've hit certain 
milestones from a from a kind of productivity point of view. So okay. imagine, you know, imagine there's 10 staff, and once those 10 staff are averaging a certain level of productivity, that then releases the door to go and hire a few more. And then when they when they're bedded in and they get up to that productivity, you can go and hire a few more. Whereas if you're on a scale, you would literally wouldn't care about that and you would be focusing purely on headcount growth and product, you know. Until you asked me, I, you might remember, I struggled to tell you what my turnover figure was. Yeah. I, have, I just don't track it. I'm mm. just not interested in turnover. Because you're looking at productivity Productivity, staff satisfaction, client satisfaction, you know, EBITDA. That's all I care about. Turnover, I know it's a cliche, isn't mm. it? It's... it's it's sanity. Sanity? Mm. It's vanity. Vanity, That's yeah. the right word. So you don't have to obviously give me the exact numbers for your business. Yeah. But people would 100% want me to ask right now, okay, what do those productivity metrics look like that you keep a close eye on? Because that would well, be really I, helpful I think, people. I don't think it's a secret. I think, uh, you know, the, this sort of these sort of data and metrics are available in all the big recruiter magazines every yeah. year. They do that top top 50, don't they? Yeah. And, you know, the, the really productive businesses are probably doing 18 to 20K a month plus per yeah. consultant or per per employee. Mm. Personally, I think if you are north of, of 10K a month, 120K per head, as long as your back office is lean, mm. which it would be if you outsource it, you're in the right ballpark and you can then move up and watch that productivity increase. But if you're not getting... 10k per head per month across everybody mm. you're not productive enough so around 10k is the important year. number yeah is is kind of your minimum yeah but you'd want to get more than that but that would be the minimum for you to go right i'm going to hire another person now unless you're on a scale obviously yeah, yeah, unless you're scale. oh yeah about, for me personally we're talking about yeah, not yeah, yeah. scaling and yeah, yeah. making better decisions at the right time exactly that Exactly that. What other key metrics do you look at that m make you feel confident that that person is getting to that point before they get to the average 10, 15 grand yeah, month I mean, you, Is you, it jobs on? Is it? Yeah, yeah yes, jobs on, the, the quality of their clients. So again, okay. I, I would, I'd far rather measure, and we do measure it really closely, the quality of our clients, and rather than necessarily how many clients, it's how good they are. So your classic gold, silver, bronze, yep. gold being it's exclusive, it's, you know, managed Yeah, more service. client commitment, exactly. more clients. Yeah, exactly. And we've gone in the last 12 months, you know, we've gone from being sort of, I think it was like 60% gold to now like 88% gold. So 88% of our business is exclusive. So that gives us so much, it's so much easier to forecast. It's yeah, so much that. better quality business. So those are the things I'd measure as well as not just pure productivity. So biggest mistakes then that you think business owners make that are on, on this sort of journey that are that do really want to, I, I do find that when I speak to people, like I speak to countless recruitment entrepreneurs that really just, they want to be a small profitable recruitment business, want to be more than 10, they want to get to that 20, 30 mark and that's what they'd be really happy with but seem to always just go on this yo-yoing journey of like yeah. getting to 10, 12, back to eight, nine. Why is that, do you think? Like I have a few sort of theories from the common things that I pick up, but from your perspective, what are some of the limiting factors do you think to that or what do people maybe sometimes get wrong? Yeah, obviously I can't speak too knowledgeable about what they get wrong, but what I can say is you never stop hiring or, okay. or never stop to trying to hire. Yeah. So even though you're not necessarily looking to hire, I wouldn't stop interviewing. That makes sense. Yeah. You kind of always should be meeting new people and yeah, good people. You're building like a network, a yeah. network of people. Con constantly, constantly, you've got to do that. And that's like really important. I think a mixture of experienced hires and rookies is really important. So I used to, 
at rethink days always call it the sausage machine so we'd have this we'd have the kind of senior hires brought in but at the same time we're constantly growing our own in the background and that way you can then get that right. scale i think that's really important but again culturally you've got to be so careful so because revoco is on a different path and we have um a much more i'm going to say mature but it is a fun working environment yeah. uh, but we tend to hire more of the experienced hires and we have we're in a fortunate position that we get some experienced hires coming to us and the reason they come to us is because their business is trying to scale so aggressively that they start hiring hundreds of rookies and, and grabbies and... and the culture changes and everything else. So we see that quite a lot. So that's a real fine line between, you know, but again, I think it comes back to what we talked about earlier about knowing what you want to be, what, you be yeah. what your end goal is. Mm. Does that yeah, help? no, that does. No, that, that does. That, that does. So in, in curious then with what you just said, mm. with because I was that was going to be one of my questions. How have you approached it hiring well, non-experienced, experienced? I have lost count the amount of times recruitment leaders have said to me, I don't want to hire experienced people because they come with bad habits and they can't unlearn those. What's your thought process strategy towards making sure experienced hires work more often than not? That's another great, you've got, you've got some great questions. Um, it's a million dollar question, isn't it, right there? I think you've got to know the industry well enough. So I'll give, I'll give you an example. We have hired people in the past, prior to, to Revoco actually, from let's say the S3 group who yeah. you touched on earlier, right? People that, that are trained in S3 group are trained a certain way. And because of the size of the businesses, they're often in, they are a real sausage machine and a, a yeah. cog in a wheel, right? And actually quite a few of them are very successful because of the amount of opportunities that come their way internally yeah. because they've got so many different vertical markets. If you take that person out and then drop them into an environment where they don't have that, they can really struggle. So I remember at Rethink, we, we, had a, we almost had a, um, an initiative that said, don't hire anyone from S- S3. Or like that because, type of environment. Because they couldn't survive in our environment. It was so different. So it's not. A, it's absolutely not a... Um, I'm not being disrespectful. No, I got you mean. I got you mean. It's just a different model. Yeah. And it didn't work in our model. At Revoco, it's a bit different because we're still scaling up and therefore I can't promise that we have every vertical market covered. How could I with mm. only 16 people? It's about understanding those individuals' true motivators of why they're looking to leave mm. and often it's just because they're a little bit fed up being beaten over the head for kpi for kpi yeah. sake they're already successful they don't need to make 15 canvas calls a day because they've already got too much work that they can deliver anyway so again and i'm not putting down kpis either they're, it's a, still an extremely meaningful thing to do but the right way and mm. it can sometimes it can just piss off the senior consultants to the point where they go i've had enough of this okay, now man. I've had enough. I want a slightly different environment. And and that's who we tend to attract. So what, what I'm taking from that is you really understand who the type of people that you can help most and can thrive in your environment, which I think comes back to the sort of overarching message here that you've clearly in your journey done a really good job of understanding like what the end goal is, what the purpose is. And maybe I, I feel like the, the sort of business owners that I speak to probably don't have, couldn't clearly articulate the type of person they can help most yeah. in their career. It's exactly that. It's knowing who you are and what you're trying to build mm. and being really true to that. Don't get me wrong, I've, I've made mistakes. Yeah. Right? I, and I've made the same mistakes sometimes more than once or twice, mm. right? I've hired people in that I thought this could be a really good person. They might, you know, shake the tree a little bit, if you like, and I've brought them in and it's been a disaster. 
So you just have to to really know what gets the best out of, you know, in your culture, yeah. in your environment. And, and you mentioned there you, you're in the lucky position of people coming to you. Obviously, not uh, saying I, like you have people knocking yeah. on the door every single week, but <laughs> like, what, what, do you, what do you think, like, I, I've seen your brand and stuff and I, I do feel like it definitely comes across authentic, human, it's a grown-up environment, I, I definitely get that. But like, what do you think you've done well on the, the, in the sort of employer branding front that's enabled you to have that edge over other Bristol employers? Because there's, there's a lot of recruitment companies to pick from. Yeah, there is. I'd like to think that we've just got a great, as you said, brand, a great visual brand, a great message to market. Um, my marketing uh, manager does a great job at just pushing the right content out and the, and the right messages out. We have um, that, that kind of authentic feel is yeah. absolutely throughout the entire workforce which makes it a happier place because everyone can be themselves, you know, and that is really important to us. It also helps the whole kind of inclusion aspect of things. So I think we just portray that the right way. And I know, I know it's working because when I'm trying to headhunt someone on LinkedIn, often I'll get the message back saying this, I'm not interested right now. I've seen you. Yeah. If I was to go somewhere, I'll come and talk to you. You know, and that's really flattering. Yeah, that's good. That's the good that's signs that you want to see. Exactly. Isn't they might yeah. not be ready now, but they might be in a year or two years' time. Mm. So I think we're doing the right thing, and and just as I said, just being really true to who we are and what we are, and not trying to take over the world. There's no world domination going on here. Mm. It's just steady, yeah, just back steady. to knowing what you want. Yeah. Exactly that. So a couple, couple final things then. How have you approached like cultivating and building your your culture at Revoco? Because I feel like you've got the Again, what I'm sort of trying to allude to and thinking here is because of your previous journey, you might be really intentional with the culture building, the things that you do that maybe you picked up or taken from like being in the business that's scaling and then applying some of those things to being in a smaller recruitment company where a typical smaller recruitment owner might not think to do those things or may not think they're necessary. So I guess what, what I'm trying to ask is what things do you do from a culture perspective intentionally that you feel really enables you to consistently cultivate the right culture or get the right things across? Uh, again, yeah, I, ju I just think like these are some of the things that if I think of the business I worked in as eight of us, we sort of all collectively maybe knew what we were all about, but we never did things that sort of cultivated that or made mm. us really realign with like, this is why we're doing what we're doing. These are our values. Do you get what I mean? Whereas mm. there may be things you experience in a bigger company. Yeah. So I think things that we've done uh, and do well are we constantly run sort of VM squared sessions. So this is your, your vision and values and mission and milestones type sessions. So we might even run two a year. So you, okay. you, you never and you do that to collectively. Co with exactly. And that's the point. It g comes from the team. It doesn't just come from from the leadership. You know, it comes mm. from it literally is the team's feeling on all of that. So we do that religiously. Things like incentives and rewards. We yeah, everyone's really different. So what incentivize one person isn't necessarily going to incentivize the person next to them. So, you know, you'll hear of winners trips and lunch clubs and all that. Don't get us wrong. We do all of those things, but we also make sure that we have incentives that really kind of hit buttons of people who don't want to just go out for a really nice sure. meal. So it could be a team event. It could be a, you know, or, or a singular thing. Do with your partner and yeah. take, take your partner away to a spa weekend if you hit this. It's much more personalised, which mm. you can do when you're, when you're smaller. Size. Yeah, interesting. So as we come to the, to the end here then, for people listening, I guess it'd just be good to get your sort of parting words or advice for people that are maybe sort of caught in between a crossroads of like, should I scale, should I not scale? Uh, and I guess for me, I feel like everything that we've gone through, it's come from a place of like, you need to know what you want. Yeah. 
But like, I don't know, anyone listening to this that maybe is unsure if they want to scale, unsure if they want to build a, a really good, profitable 20, 30 person recruitment business, what advice would you give them that hopefully will give them a bit more clarity and, and go on the right track, do you think? If they don't know whether they should scale or not scale, that's, that's half the problem, right? Mm. Clearly, you've got to be really clear on what you're trying to achieve. If you don't know and it's your first time you've done it, get yourself a really good non-exec or coach. I absolutely swear by that. Get, and find someone who's done what you've done, not say they've done what you've done, just mm. actually someone who's lived that experience. That would be invaluable. But I would just, it goes back to think about why you want to do these things. So if you want to scale, why do you want to scale? What value are you trying to create? What is your exit strategy? And at what point will it kick in? And work out how long it might take and then work out how much value you'll get from it. Mm. Uh, and again, there's people that can help you if you've not done that before. Or if it's more keeping it small, what's your plan? How, how small? How big does that need to get to? You know, how much profit do you want to take out of the business every year according to your, your life goals or whether you've got underlying other you know, reasons to give more back to society or whatever it might be? You've got to know. What, what's the phrase? Um, you, you don't know... You don't know where you're going. No, what's I can't remember the phrase. I, I know what you're saying. Something like, if you, you haven't got a plan. You don't know where you're going. Yeah. You don't know when you get there and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, you re, yeah, you've just absolutely... And if you are sat there not knowing, should I scale, should I not scale, that, that's your biggest know, yeah. problem. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. No worries. Great to meet you. Thank you. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the recruitment mentors podcast